Indeed, it is good to see everyone this morning. His wounds has paid my ransom. Amen? Isn't that beautiful? His wounds. And certainly true. Good to see everyone and good to have those watching online. By the way, uh, you noticed that uh, uh, Brother Kobe was out of breath. He said he ran to get me some water. So I was sitting there without any water. And he said, I'll go get you some. I said, no, no, you don't have time. And he, we, you know how the counter is going. He said, oh, I got a minute and a half. <laughs> I'm thinking, I can't even decide whether to go or not in a <laughs> minute and a half. But off he went down the aisle, come back with nine seconds left. Right on, right on time. I asked Kobe to let me make the uh, prayer uh, request this morning because I wanted to share with you um, these, uh, these particular things here. One, the first one is about Jamie McMasters. You may have already heard, but Jamie McMasters went to be with the Lord Saturday morning early about 2.15. He was at church about, I don't know, three weeks ago, something like that. And uh, he was in the hospital a week and uh, on on. Wednesday, he decided to stop all of his treatment. He knew what that meant, and uh, he would only live a couple of days. And sure enough, he did. Karen and I visited with, he, with uh, Jamie and the family, and Cindy, of course, was there. And, and we visited with them on uh, Friday afternoon again, and then just some hours later. The, the way Cindy put it was beautiful. He took his Savior's hand... 2.15 in the morning. I thought that was beautifully put. So uh, pray for them. The funeral is not definite yet, but they're thinking the service is going to be uh, this coming Saturday. And uh, they meet with the funeral home tomorrow. And they've also asked, please no phone calls and no text for right now. The family just needs some time to rest and take care of everything that's going on. If you want to send them a card or a note in the old-fashioned mail, that would be uh, a, a good thing. So please remember then. Then Evelyn Barrier had an uh, ablation. That went well. She had that on Friday, and she's home now, and, but she still has a double ear infection and a fractured back, so she's in a lot of pain. And then George Cable, this past Sunday, George went into the hospital and he had a blockage and, uh, in his bowels, and they went in and did surgery on Monday. And then he developed an infection. They had to do surgery again on Friday. And uh, he's recovering now, and things look a little better right now. So please remember uh, George in your prayers. And then uh, Emory, uh, Emerson Cates, you remember, is a six-year-old. Uh, his father, David, and uh, Courtney, his mother... They're members of our church, and uh, if you remember, uh, uh, Emerson has had this physical problems for some time. They finally diagnosed it as cancer, and then this past Wednesday, they had their final diagnosis of what type of cancer it is. It is a stage 3 T-cell uh, lymphoblastic lymphoma, and they started chemo on Wednesday, and then they gave him another treatment on Saturday. The tumor that was in his that is in his chest is as big as a baseball, but it had not spread to the other organs 
nor was it in his blood, nor was it in his bone marrow. So that is really a praise. And those of you who are here Wednesday night heard this, but the doctor said if you're going to have cancer and a tumor that big, the type of cancer he has is the best possible. The cure rate is about 95% for him. So praise the Lord for that, but they got a long way to go. Second treatment of chemo was Saturday. Just a minute or so into the treatment, he had an uh, anaphylactic reaction and stopped breathing. This was yesterday. And they had to bring in the required rapid response team came in and, uh, and got him breathing again and things going again. So they're going to change out that chemo. So just because it's a good, a better than it could have been diagnosis, they still have a long way to go. Six to nine months of, of chemo. So please remember them in your prayers. All right, turn, you see on the screen there? Oh, there's, wait a minute, there's Emerson. I didn't know he was up there. Yeah, there he is for those of you who haven't, uh, didn't remember him. And that's his parents, of course, up there as well. Praise the Lord. Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy. And uh, Deuteronomy in chapter 6. As you see, I want to speak on raising your children. And uh, then at the close of the service, we'll have our dedication of the children uh, to the Lord. A dedication of the children is it, it's not doesn't bring about salvation or it doesn't uh, it, it doesn't impose merit or or, um, or grace onto a child. It's an it's an act of the parents choosing to dedicate their children to the Lord and dedicate themselves to the Lord. And uh, so we'll be doing that at the close. I'll say more about it right before the dedication prayer takes place. Well, look in Deuteronomy. We have here, starting in verse 4, the Shema. The Shema was the most important part of the Old Testament to Jewish believers. They recited it every morning, and they recited it again every evening. Uh, uh, and so it was, of the, it was the heart of the law and of the teaching of the Old Testament. But, of course, it applies to us beautifully in the New Testament as well, as you'll see. Look at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And Jesus, you remember, said, The Father and I are one. The Trinity does not do away with the truth of, of God's unity, that he is one and alone as the Lord. Verse 5 says, And thou wilt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. You may remember when Jesus was asked, What's the most important commandment? This is what Jesus said. This right here. Love the Lord with all your heart and soul and strength or might. And then verse 6, And these words which I command thee this day shalt thou shalt be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk to them when thou sittest in thine house. So, you know, you don't have to give a toddler 
a 30-minute devotion every day. You teach them while you're sitting in your house, while you're taking your bath, while you're helping them put on their clothes. And you teach them in uh, all the avenues of life. So it says, teach them when you're sitting in your house and when thou walkest by the way. Now, we don't walk far ourselves. You know, if you're taking your kids to school in the car, that might be an equivalent. Uh, talk to them when you're in the car, when you're walking by the way. And, uh, and when thou liest down, when you go to bed at night, talk about it. And when thou risest up. So all through the day, teaching, explaining God's precepts and God's truth to your children. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Just two more verses now. Look at verse 8. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. Now, I think God meant for, for these truths to control your hands and for it to control your mind. But along the way, some of the strictest of Jews, the Hasidic Jews, started wearing these verses in a little box called a phylactery. And some of them wear it on their forehead. There's a leather strap goes around their head, and there's a little leather box right there on their forehead, and it has in it verses 4 through 9. And then, uh, and, and, on, and on the back of the hand as well. Verse 9, And uh, thou shalt write them upon the post of thine house and on thy gate. Well, I think the Lord meant they should control the behavior in your house. Let it be on your gate. Let it be on your door. But some, again, Hasidic Jews, uh, have what they call a mezuzah. And a mezuzah is a little leather box or a little wooden box that, that attaches to the, actually to the doorpost when you go in and out of your house. Inside that mezuzah is uh, the Shema right here uh, at the... Uh, Bloomingthal's nursing home, which is uh, Jewish run, uh, they have a mezuzah on every door. And uh, you, I know you've seen them in films and so forth. Uh, but our, what we want to think about today, loving the Lord with all your heart, and teach your children to do the same thing. Pray with me for a moment. Father, thank you for our time together. Make it profitable, I pray, for each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thursday, Karen and I came across an article by Dr. Jim Dennison. And in it, he wrote about Chip and Joanna Gaines. How many people know who those two people are? Uh, it looks like 90% maybe. Uh, they're on HGTV. And uh, I thought it was an interesting article. Here's what he says. Joanna and Chip Gaines are two of the best-known evangelical Christians in popular culture. Their long-running home improvement show, Fixer Upper, was one of HGTV's highest-rated franchise ever in the history. And uh, it was nominated for two primetime Emmys. Since then, the couple has expanded into restaurants, home decor a realty company, and now they own their own TV network. And along the way, they were raising five children. They have five children, and all five of them still at home. So along that journey, they were raising five children. 
in an article earlier this year, excuse me, <coughs> I forgot my water. Uh, <laughs> would you mind getting that for me, Kobe? Uh, Kobe. Oh, it's the other one, Harley, yeah. It's just hard to get all this right, isn't it? Teamwork makes the dream work. <laughs> right. Harley said, teamwork makes the dream work. Uh, thank you. All right. We do have fun, don't we? In an article written earlier this year, uh, Joanna wrote about experiencing burnout. And I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but I'm just setting the stage for something I want to say to you. It says, she says um, that it, it was, she had deep gratitude for all the ways she and her family have been blessed by the Lord. A deep gratitude. She said, I, I, but I knew I couldn't keep going the way I have. It's hard to explain how I was feeling. I was grateful beyond measure, but exhausted. Now, I think that describes a lot of parents who are trying to make ends meet. They're working long hours. They're trying to take care of their children. They're trying to go to events, children's events, and their life is so busy. Sometimes parents get totally overwhelmed. You don't have to be as busy as Joanna though she may not be any more busy than any people sitting right here in this room. But she said she was grateful, deeply grateful. Uh, but, but then she said, I, I was grateful beyond measure, but exhausted, loved, but felt unworthy, full, but running on empty. We feel that way sometimes, don't we? Full, but running on empty. And... Uh, uh, and she said, because of the busy, the, my world keeps me so busy that my wheels were always turning, but it became harder to tell where they were supposed to be headed. In that article, she talked about wanting to be more intentional, to get her priorities lined up. And then she said, I want to live the next season of this beautiful life in focus. Dr. Dennison said, Joanna Gaines is a committed believer who experienced burnout in the midst of great success. She's not the first, and she'll not be the last. And then he talks about some biblical characters. We're not going to go there. He talked about David and Moses and, and Elijah all experiencing burnout. What I want to compare that to is the great stress that parents are under. I mean, changing diapers and helping with homework and doing all those things that, that have to be done. And uh, it can be extremely stressful and people can feel overwhelmed. I want you to know that as best we can, we understand that and we pray uh, for you. And uh, we, the church prays for each other. And that's a beautiful thing. And uh, so, when you think about getting your priorities right, we have the two main priorities right here in our text. Number one, 
Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and strength. Put Jesus first. Let Him be preeminent in your life. That's your first priority as a believer in Christ. Your second priority is your family. Is your children, your husband, your wife, that family unit, and, that, uh, and teaching those children to love the Lord themselves. If these two things stay in focus, it helps us to move forward with other things. Now we're going to talk about a lot of things and I'm going to have to move through them quickly if you look at your screen there for a moment. Uh, three important truths I mentioned up front. Only the Lord can build a home. Now you can have a home but it can be very unhappy. It can be dysfunctional and so forth. Only the Lord can build a home the way it should be built doesn't matter if you've read 20 books from the secular world. The Bible says only the Lord can build the home. And then children are a gift from the Lord. View them as such. They're a gift. There's no mistakes. Now, I know we use that word sometimes for unplanned pregnancies. Uh, in that sense, I was a mistake. Uh, but uh, there are no mistakes in God's plan. And so they're a gift. Treat them as such. And then Satan is after our children. Now, I've already talked about in the last couple of weeks how alcoholism and illegal drug use is, is getting higher and higher among our youth in America. The average child sees pornography at the age of 11. That's pretty disturbing. And, uh, and immorality continues to grow in our nation. Satan is after our children like a roaring lion. So we have to be aware. We have to be careful. And uh, we need good planning. Well, uh, I want to share with you now those practical thoughts. You may have heard me do this in the past couple of years ago. Practical thoughts on bringing up children the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Nurture and admonition, those two words come from Ephesians chapter 6. Nurture means show them how to live the Christian life by the way you live it. Show them how to live. The word admonition means to tell them how to live. They need both. They need you to explain it to them, and they need you to show them how it works. Notice I use the word here, some thoughts. Uh, you've all heard the story, I guess, of Charles Shedd. He, bef he was a pastor, and before he had any children, he used to preach boldly, he said, on the subject, how to raise your children. After he had one child, he changed it to some suggestions to parents. After he had two more children, he changed it to, and quote, Feeble hints for fellow strugglers. <laughs> so, uh, I'm using the word thought there. Uh, Mark Twain went a little further. You know, the, the humorist, Mark Twain. He said this, and I'm quoting, How to raise children. When they become teenagers, put them in a barrel and feed them through the knothole. When they become 16, stop up the knothole. <laughs> I think we can do better than that. Uh, 
So I've got some thoughts. Now these thoughts come from the principles of Scripture, but they're also just practical thoughts of how that might apply. Things I've learned over 45 years of ministry and reading hundreds of books on children and so forth. And, and so these are some things I share with you, I hope, rather quickly. Uh, practical thought number one. Stay together. That means husband and wife stay together. I, I've heard it all through the years with counseling when people say, well, our kids would be better off if we separate because we fuss and fight all the time and everything. Well, the answer to that is not separate. The answer is learn how to get along so you don't fuss and fight. That's the answer. Dr. Dobson said, the expert, of course, the American expert on the family, Dr. Dobson said the best thing you can do for your children is stay together. Somebody messes up, teach your children how to forgive. Teach your children how to get along with somebody who may have a differing view from you. Teach your children how to be kind and gentle and, uh, and how to reconcile when there are difficulties. You, you're teaching your children the whole time through your marriage. Number one, best thing you can do for your children is stay together. Number two... Keep them in church. This is important. The church is the organization on earth that God has ordained uh, to teach the Word, share the gospel and teach the Word and help families. We're going to be the biggest help. Now, we're not going to do it all. You have to do it yourself at home, but we're going to be the biggest help of teaching your children to love the Lord with all their heart and soul and strength. And so bring them to all the activities. Bring them to the youth things. Bring them to the children's ministries. Bring them to all, make sure they, they go. And then you come too. That shows them how important it is. If you don't go and you just send them, you're sending them the wrong message. This is not important. I don't really think it's important or I would be there. And so keep them uh, in church. Now I know sometimes... People say, well, I think they ought to make their own decision. Well, do you, do you let them make their own decision about taking a bath? What if, what if your, you know, 10-year-old said, well, I, uh, I'm tired of taking baths. have to do it every day. It's just very bothersome. Would you say, well, I understand that completely. I think you ought to be able to make up your own mind. You can stop taking baths if you want to. No one would do that, would they? Or what about going to school? Man, if my parents had given me an option when I was in grammar school whether to go or not, I'd stay home, man. <coughs> no doubt about it. But you don't let them. You make them take a bath. You make them go to school. Well, make them come to church. They'll enjoy it, and they'll learn. And if there are times when they don't want to go, make sure they come. Keep them in church. And then three, laugh and have fun together. Enjoy life together. Go out on outings and teach your children how to, in, how to really enjoy life. They need to see how that's done. Have fun. Laugh together. Show them how to uh, laugh and have a good time. And then, 
tell them and show them that they are important to you. You need to tell them, but you need to show them as well. That means going to their important activities at, your, at uh, school and sports activities and academic activities and so forth. Delight in them and, uh, and show them and tell them. I love this story by John Trent. And uh, he writes about a time when he was, uh, he was in a conference speaking on raising your children. And he was talking about affirmation, affirming your love and acceptance of them and so forth. And a woman came up afterwards and told him this story. She was the grandmother of a five-year-old and a two-year-old. And she told Dr. Trent, said, the two-year-old is really in those terrible twos. And you know it's true if a grandmother says it. Um, they're in the terrible twos. And she said, uh, for several years, the five-year-old and her daddy have been going out on what they call dates, date night, date time. And they might go out and eat a meal or something like that and, and uh, talk and share. So it came time for this two-year-old to go on her first date with her daddy. And so they went to a... Uh, fast food there in the area to get pancakes one morning and so they gathered their pancakes got everything ready got back to the table and before they prayed the daddy said I've got something I, I want to tell you he said Jenny I want you to know how much I love you and how special you are to mom and to me we prayed for you for years and now you're here and growing up to be a, such a wonderful girl, we couldn't be more proud of you. Feeling like his speech went pretty well, he stopped talking and he reached over to get his fork. Before he could pick his fork up, the two-year-old uh, reached out with her little chubby hand and put it on top of his hand and stopped him from getting his fork. And then she said in a soft voice, longer, daddy, longer. So he put his fork down and he started talking to her again about how much he loved her and how much he appreciated her. And he reached for his fork and she said, longer, daddy, longer. And it happened a third time and a fourth time. And he said, I didn't get much to eat that morning, but my daughter got the emotional nourishment she needed then the mother tells that just a couple of weeks later while the little two-year-old Jenny was running through the house she was never still she was always on the go and running she was running through the house and she just stopped suddenly right in front of her mother spontaneously and said I'm a really special daughter mama daddy told me so Tell them and show them how much you love them, how important they are to you. And then learn to say, I love you and I am sorry. Some people have trouble saying I love you. I never understood that much. But if you do, practice it. Work on it. I used to have couples sit down in front of my in front of me and sometimes when I was doing marriage counseling I'd meet with one or the other at, at different times and then meet with them together and sometimes I found this interesting it happened every now and then 
the wife maybe would say, he never tells me he loves me. And so I, you know, later when I'm talking to the husband, I say, do you ever tell your wife you love her? And he said, all the time. It's a difference in expectation. She wanted to be told every time you left the house, every time you walked back into the house, every time, you know, something changed, she wanted to be told. He thought, if I mention it, you know, once a week, that ought to do it, you know. But children need to hear those words. Practice it if you had trouble. And for some people, it's really hard to say, I'm sorry. I mean, that implies you might have done something wrong. <laughs> practice it. Say, I'm sorry. It's important. And then, uh, love unconditionally like God. Aren't you glad that God loves you unconditionally? He loves you when you're doing good. He loves you when you're doing bad, doesn't he? And it doesn't change. His love is everlasting. And uh, he loves us with an unconditional love. Be sure your children hear that and be sure they feel that. Now, you wouldn't say to your child, I hope you wouldn't, you wouldn't say to your child, uh, I'll love you if you make straight A's. Or you wouldn't say, I'll love you if you make the basketball team. You wouldn't say that to your children. But they might feel that way if they came in with a B and you were all upset and lectured them and was they might feel like you might never love them if they can't make straight A's same thing with a sporting event verbally tell them and also show them you love them unconditionally it's been said of course that we love and uh, God loves unconditionally and when we're doing good, he loves us with a love that makes him glad. And when we're doing bad, it, we, he loves us with a love that makes him sad. And so love unconditionally. I've got to move quicker. Y'all are not listening fast enough. Yeah, wow. Okay, start to listen faster. Uh, teach them young and in all of life. Remember what the Shema says? When you wake up, when you go to bed, when you walk along the way, or when you're transporting yourself. When you're sitting in your house, all those ways. When you're watching TV, by the way, even a cartoon, you can say, oh, that was rude. A Christian shouldn't do that, say what that person said. I mean, it doesn't have to be a curse word. I mean, just being rude. Teach them what's right and wrong when you're watching TV, even. And uh, so teach them all along the way in life. Teach them young. Never contradict each other in front of the children. If you disagree with what, with, that, with what your wife said, take it up with her. Y'all talk, deal with it personally in a private setting, not in front of your children. If you fuss in front of your children, they learn to work the two of you. you know. they, they learn to, to get in on that uh, fussing and, and how to try to control the situation. So have a united front when it comes to the children. And then... Don't compare to siblings or to anyone. Don't say, I wish you'd do your homework like your older brother, Johnny. That's just going to make him resent, him or her resent Johnny. And don't compare him to somebody down the street. You know, some, you got somebody down the street that's a straight A student, and you say, I wish you'd be like them. Don't compare. Everybody's different. 
we, some people are good at one thing and some people are good at another thing. And so, don't compare them. That's, that's hurtful to children. And let them be who God made them to be. Some children are good at math. Some are good at English. You know, some are good at science. Some are good at sports. And, uh, and we're all different. Let them be who God made them to be. We're all unique, aren't we? Absolutely. Every one of us. And God loves us uniquely. He placed those unique traits in us. And so, let them be who God made them to be. And then also, learn to be who God made you to be. If you learn that and you show them that in your life, it helps them be to become who God made them to be. And then, uh, number 12, choose your battles carefully. Don't criticize your children 24-7. I know you've seen parents do that, and I have too. I mean, they can't even pick up a straw off the table without you saying, you should have picked it up with your other hand. Why did you pick it up with your wrong hand? Or so, I mean, it's just little stuff all the time. Sometimes just don't see stuff, you know. Look the other way sometimes. Choose your battles carefully. And once you choose them, be sure you win. That's important. Not by being mean, not by being loud, or not by being angry. Just be sure you win once you start the battle. Choose your battles carefully. Not everything is worth a battle. And the more you've the older your children have become, the more you learn that. I know y'all have seen that episode of Andy and Opie where Opie's got a new friend in town and he gets everything he wants from his daddy by crying and whining and, and doing what they call pitch a fit, you know? And so uh, he's, uh, Opie's learning from this boy how to get what he wants. I think what he wants, if I remember right, is more money for his allowance and for him not to have to work for it. And so uh, Andy's sitting at his desk in the, you know, in the sheriff's office, and Opie comes in, asks for more money, and, and Andy says no, and Opie walks over to the middle of the floor, lays in the middle of the floor, starts screaming and kicking his feet and whopping his hands on the floor and screaming loud. And Andy just kindly looks at him in a casual way and says, What you doing? And he said, Pitching a fit. And when he says that, he stops what he's doing and looks up at his daddy and says, pitching a fit. So his daddy says, well, don't get your clothes dirty. And he just went back and... <laughs> if they pitch a fit... Karen and I had a rule. I think it's okay to tell this. We had a rule that said, if you, if you beg for something or cry for something, you will not get it. Because that teaches kids to, to cry and to whine and to pitch a fit <laughs> to get what they want. Choose your battles carefully. And if you choose one, be sure you win. And then discipline, that is reward good and punish disobedience. Now, I use that word disobedience because you shouldn't punish children because they make mistakes. You make mistakes too. So do I. I make a bunch of them. And uh, you, pun you punish them for disobedience. Reward them 
for good. I've got an article here from the police department of Houston, Texas. This is 12 rules for raising juvenile delinquents. Put out by the police department. <laughs> That's interesting, isn't it? And um, by the way, when we think about discipline, we, the book of Proverbs, of course, tells us repeatedly to discipline our children. Proverbs 29, 15, the rod, uh, the rod and rebuke gives wisdom, but a child left to himself will bring his mother to shame. Later in the same chapter, correct your son and he will give you rest. Yes, he will give delight to your soul. Correction. Well, this police department, Houston, Texas, wrote up these 12 rules. I'll read them to you quickly. You'll get the gist from the, right from the beginning. Now, this is how to raise your child as a criminal or delinquent. Bring, uh, begin in infancy to bring your child everything he wants. In this way, he will grow up believing that the world owes him a living. When he picks up bad words, laugh at him. This will make him think that it's cute to use foul language. Never give him any spiritual training. Wait until he's 21 and then let him decide for himself. Think how much the world has gotten a hold of somebody by the time they're 21. The drugs, the alcohol, the immorality and so forth. Uh, but a lot of people, you know, let them make their own decision when they're an adult. The Bible says just the opposite. I said I wasn't going to take time with this. Um, it says, avoid using the word wrong. He may get a guilt complex. This will condition him to believe later that when he's arrested for stealing a car, that society is against him and he's being persecuted. Pick up everything he lies around and do everything for him. Uh, so that he will be experienced in throwing all responsibility on others. Number six, let him read all printed material that he gets into his hands and watch any TV show he wants and uh, look at anything on his phone or computer that he wants. Then it says, same number six, be careful that the silverware and the drinking glasses are sterilized but let, him, let his mind feast on garbage. Quarrel frequently in the presence of your children. In this way, they won't be shocked when the home is, breaks up later. Give a child all the spending money he wants. Never let him earn his own. Satisfy his every craving for food, drink, and comfort, and every desire. Take his part against neighbors teachers, and policemen. They are all prejudiced against your child. When he gets into trouble, apologize for yourself by saying, I never could do anything with him. Number 12 and the last one, prepare for a life of grief. You will likely have it. Now that's from the police department, but it was in Chuck Swindoll's book uh, entitled... Uh, you and your child. And by the way, that book is on the book list that I've got for you to, as you leave today if you'd like to have it. So, 
um, punish disobedience, but reward good. You have to discipline, the Bible says. Communicate, talk and listen. Communication is not just you lecturing. Communication goes both ways. Listen to what your child has to say. Listen. And then talk. And talk about important issues like drugs and alcohol and sex. By the way, I love this big billboard that used to be in High Point. I don't think it's... I mean, I know it's not in the same place anymore. Maybe somewhere else. It said, talk to your kids about sex. Everybody else is. I mean, everybody's talking to your kids about sex, so you talk to them about it too and explain the biblical view of sex. And so, communicate. Talk. Listen to your children. Say no and stick to it. Sometimes, you know, parents just know best and they sometimes know something's bad. So, sometimes you have to say no and sometimes you can't quite explain it to satisfy the child. Matter of fact, most of the time you can't explain it, satisfy the child. Say no and stick to it. Say no about certain music you, you won't let them listen to and certain TV that they can't watch and certain limit, limits on their use of computers and so forth. And sometimes they want to go to a party and you know what's going to go on there and you just say no. So sometimes say no and stick to it. And then know where they are at all times. Know who they're with at all times. You, I, I know you probably saw this. There used to be a commercial, and I can't now remember. It was not from a Christian organization, but it was from some child organization that came on uh, the TV back, I'd say, 10 years ago. And it would ask these two questions. Do you know where your child is at? Do you know where, who your child is with? Be sure you know. Oh, they might accuse you of being a hovering helicopter parent or something like that. That's okay. I, I know they don't know this, but you're the one in charge. So take charge. And uh, know where they are. Know where they're going. Know who they're with. And then pray. God still answers prayer. Amen? He still answers prayer. Pray a hedge around your children like I talked about two weeks ago. And then the last one, be an example. Show them Christ. Show them what it means to love the Lord with all your heart and soul and strength. What does that mean? It might be hard to explain. It may be easier for them to see the way mama lives, the way daddy lives, loving Christ with all their heart and soul and strength. I love the little story. I love the little story about the kindergarten girl who's drawing a picture. All, they're all drawing pictures in the class, and this one girl is just really intense with her drawing. And, and the teacher comes by and looks at what she's drawing, can't tell what it is. But then she says to the little girl, says, What are you drawing? And she said, I'm drawing God. So the teacher wanted to kind of help her out a little bit, you know. So she's trying to think of how she might comment. So the teacher thought for a minute, and then she said, but, you, but no one really knows what God looks like. Without hesitating, stopping, or looking up, she said, they will in a minute. <laughs> we don't know what God looks like. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But to a child, 
They, all they know about God is what they see in Mama and in Daddy. One more thought. I have here a quote from a, a young lady that was a senior in high school that won the homecoming court that year and, and uh, here in the U.S. And this is what she said in her comment. Now, this is a senior in high school. The person I admire most is my mother. She is an amazing example of a woman who lives a Christ-like life. She shows Christ in every aspect of her life, and I would love to be just like her when I'm older. Wow, what a testimony. Don't you wish your senior in high school would say that about you? Dads, moms, let's be that example. Let's show our kids, our grandkids, let's show them what it means to love the Lord with all your heart and soul and strength to put Him first above everything else. Bow with me, please. And while we're bowing now, if you have children, you need to go get out of the children's ministry, uh, then uh, exit right now if you would. Bring them on down. I know several of you have to go get some children. So please uh, do that. I wonder how many parents, grandparents would say, Preacher, pray for me. I want to be the example that I should be for my children and my grandchildren. If that's your prayer, would you slip your hands up right now all over the building? Yes. Hands are up everywhere. God bless you, each one. You may put them down. Now, no one's looking but me, and some of our parents have already left to go get their children, but I wonder how many would say, Pastor Paul, I feel overwhelmed like Joanna said, full but running on empty with my parenting. Pray for me. If you feel that way, would you slip your hand up and I'm looking around. Yes, God bless you and God bless you and God bless you and yes, God bless you. You may put them down. Father, we pray that you will bring peace and strength to these parents. Raising children and working a job and keeping a home is overwhelming. And I pray that you'd give them your strength. May they look to you and find in you the strength they need to carry on. Give them your peace and joy, I pray. And then, Lord, for all of us who raised our hands, make us good examples for our children and grandchildren, an example of loving you with all of our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name.